0: Testament to the book of First Peter. Uh, we're beginning a series uh, in First Peter called "Hopeful Exiles" tonight, and um, we're going to read together uh, the first two verses only. You say it's going to take you a while, uh, but that's um, that, that's the first, that's the only time there'll be two verses, I, I think, <laughs> during the, the series. First uh, Peter, uh, chapter one. We're going to pray just before we read uh, from God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, these are your words. And we believe them to be the word of the living God, breathed out by the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus Christ speaking to us. And we pray as we consider them tonight, you'll guide us by your spirit and instruct us, challenge us, convince us again, and comfort us where we need it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter uh, chapter 1, and the first uh, two verses, and this is what uh, God says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Amen. Oh man. If you um, know an architect uh, well, you can recognize his, his design work elsewhere. Uh, that's a Christopher Wren, you might say, if you're into uh, that sort of thing. Uh, if, you're, if you know a composer's work, uh, you can recognize them in uh, their musical compositions. Uh, that sounds like Beethoven, you could say. Uh, Or if uh, a film director you might recognize in in, in his or her method or storytelling, that's that's that film's very typically Spielberg, you could come off with something like that. If you know an artist's work really well, you can recognize her uh, in her other work. If I were to take a, a Christopher Banks sermon script and read it out to you, it wouldn't sound right. And the same goes if Chris Banks were to read out one of mine. Because there's something of us in our preaching. In school, your teacher could tell you if you wrote the story yourself or if you got your parents to do it for you. All of these show, in one way or another, that you are in some way present in all of your work. And the, three, and the persons of God are present in his work. God being three persons in one God. As we begin this series in, in First Peter, uh, we have before us uh, the beginnings of what looks like a letter. We can tell this uh, from the format, uh, we recognize this from before, uh, that letters have a sender and a, and a receiver, uh, and we, here we have both a from and a to, which are identified for us. Peter is the sender. Uh, he identifies as the sender and identifies himself, at the risk of sounding very, very modern indeed, uh, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter is one of the, of the sent ones. That's what apostle means, those sent by Jesus Christ. Uh, just like, like Barnabas is an apostle in Acts chapter 14 and Acts chapter 15, and also uh, he, well, he's, he's sent out on mission. Uh, and Titus is, is called an apostle in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. But Peter is also one of the twelve. Uh, that means that th- this could have a capital A uh, for uh, the word apostle, a special apostle. That means Peter is fully authorized to speak on behalf of Jesus Christ because he is one of the twelve. This gives First uh, Peter its authority to the original audience and to us as part of what's called the canon of Scripture. It's authored by a, by a capital A Apostle of Jesus, who are the receivers, oh, well they, though they are many in number. Uh, we are told that Peter writes the letter to various groups across what we would today call uh, Turkey. Uh, it's a large region. It's Pontus, uh, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and there are five uh, Roman provinces that basically cover the full length of the top slice, top half slice of Turkey. And we can see this on the map. The order of them is not random, um, but the circuit that would have, been, uh, uh, that would have um, seen the, the letter received as it's been taken by a courier around these provinces. Five provinces in the mighty Roman Empire. These people are under uh, the power of the Roman Empire uh, in their day, and, that, and, and in that day it wasn't easy at all to be a Christian. In the opening verse, Peter calls the receivers of his letter elect exiles. You see it there. These people are mostly Gentiles, we believe, but Peter is using the language of the Old Testament Jewish nation. They are exiles, he says. Exile could be translated as uh, stranger or pilgrim. Uh, it's, a, it's a word uh, very associated in our Bible with, with Jewish people in, in Babylon and Assyria. It's an important part in the Old Testament, isn't it? And of course, we've been there. You'll remember our studies in Ezra and Nehemiah in the morning that, that God's people were, were exiled in Babylon as a result of, of breaking their covenant with God. Uh, time and time again, they're guilty of idolatry and faithlessness. And eventually God judges them after much patience, of course, by taking them out of the fertile garden of Canaan, taking them out of the promised land where they're exiles now in a foreign land. But Peter, of course, he's not condemning these people with the use of this word. There's no kind of like implied condemnation when he uses it because as you read it, you don't get any sense of a a guilty verdict here. So, so what are you on about, Peter? How are we exiles, Peter? They might ask him. For this is where we live, twenty-four Nero Street, Bithynia is where we live. Someone could say to him. But to understand this, uh, instead of thinking like that, think of a question like: Is this your forever home? Is this your final home? Because this is not their final home. As believers. They look to another place. They look with their spiritual father, Abraham, the father of all who believe, to the city that has foundations whose builder, designer, and builder is God. That is the sense of the word exile, for they are presently exiled from that home, even though they've never been. (laughs) They look with affection to it. Just like the Jews by the river of, rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, and there we wept as we remembered Zion, as Boney M once sang, a hint here to what it means to live in Babylon, to, to long for another place at Zion or, or Jerusalem, because life in Babylon as a citizen of another place is not easy. For you're not the majority, you're very much the minority. That means you're often oppressed and rejected. Yes, Israel was rejected and sent into exile. But, but those already in exile have that sense of rejection too. Rejection from the natives, uh, the locals, the majority. Those who, who know they outnumber you and so can keep you out of things and, and speak against you. And who's going to care? Can mistreat you and, and work because you haven't got the clout to do anything about it. This is the sense of the Exile. Of First Peter where it's the 60s AD or so and rejection and suffering are very much part and parcel of being a follower of Jesus in these regions of the empire where perseverance is required because it's tough out there and the heat is on. It's not nationwide state-sponsored weeding out of Christians yet that will happen later under Emperor Nero but it's certainly local level discrimination, mistreatment. And what are you going to do about it? Bullying from those who were in the majority with the reason being that you could get away with it, repressing these minority Christian type. And so they did. As with all of the apostles' letters in our Bible, it's good to remember that you're in some sense reading other people's meal. Can you imagine the excitement In church, when word gets out that these beleaguered first century believers, well, that the Apostle Peter has written a letter to them. And it's going to be read out this Sunday. Not many missing that day, you would imagine. This letter was for them. But all Scripture is also written for us. They live a long way from here, and a whole lot of years have passed. God has also given us this letter. But we're not that dissimilar to them. They're exiled in the sense that we're all exiled. We are Christians in a hostile culture spread across city and town and village and mountain and valley across every corner of the world. We are spiritual exiles in a foreign land. We're not really at home in Dundonald or East Belfast or Ards among the majority who don't believe. We should sense that. We should sense that. Our citizenship is in heaven. The new Jerusalem, the new earth, and we've got our passport and it's our picture inside it. He's prepared a place for us there. And yet, how often do we just live as if all we see and know is all there is? How often is our vision limited to settle for the best that this place has to offer and to save for this and that in this place? To be tempted even to take on the values and ways of this place— or those with no future or hope when there is another place. They and we are the people of God in the world. Their Roman world was hostile, and of course so increasingly so is ours. We're heading back this way, it seems. And so what we read is for all of us. Peter calls the people elect exiles. They are exiles, yes, We have seen that, but he also calls them elect. Another Jewish-sounding word uh, for those who are mostly Gentiles, the Old Testament people of Israel were, of course, God's chosen people. That's clear in many places. Think about Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Just like Israel, were God's chosen people in the Old Testament, his treasured possession, the ones who were to be a light to the Gentiles under the old economy, Peter takes the word and uses it for believers here under the new covenant, applying the same to them. It's got the idea of choosing, hasn't it? When you elect a new political representative, you choose someone on the ballot paper in the election. Perhaps you wish to be spared from another one of those this December interesting to be called an elect exile. Yes, they're both words beginning with E and they've got five letters in each, but that's where their similarities end. Because if you think about it, they actually are like almost opposite. (laughs) One is someone who's been rejected and the other is someone who's been selected. It's like one of those Northern Ireland country phrases. I kind of come from the country, from Ballymena. That dog is wild team, they say. She's awful good, that child. Which one is it? (laughs) Is it awful or good? Is it wild or is it team? Rejected or selected? Why are we elect exiles, Peter? And what do you really mean by that? Well, Peter explains himself with a series of statements about God in verse 2 to explain this, to explain God's work in this. The first is according to the foreknowledge of the Father. Are they God's because those believers in those five Roman provinces were nicer, more decent, or honorable than others? Well, think about the same question and apply it to the Old Testament people. Did the same principle apply because they were, of course, a more desirable people, a more lovable lot that God set his love upon? Perhaps. Foreknowledge means God foreknew the Father, God the Father. In other words, he he knew something before. This is a word about the past, isn't it? We get that. Before the world was made, he knew. In eternity past, he knew. Peter's audience beforehand, well, they didn't know. Uh, they had no notion, no interest, no sense that they would be believers. But he knew. The God who is neither beginning or end, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, he knew. No one um, in evangelicalism doubts that God knew. That's not controversial. But if we dig a little bit deeper, we learn that foreknowledge is not just the idea that God is aware of things before, that he has prior information on the direction these people's lives would take. He doesn't just have the Gray's Sports Almanac directory of who will believe and just has to be content with simply knowing. For, of course, means before, no issue there, but knowledge. What is Knowledge. Of course, to know, we get the idea, but to know in the Bible is often more than to know in our use of it. Let me show you. God's people are suffering in Egypt, and Exodus chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 says this, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. New, of course, here implies he's he's remembered his covenant, he's gonna do something about it. He's gonna he's gonna rescue. Jeremiah 1, verse 5, even more so. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, God says to Jeremiah. And before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. It's 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 more, isn't it, than than know about. It's 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 take care of, it's it's, it's set a plan in place to, to rescue, to it, it's a point. It's to set his love on. Thomas Schreiner says the word new in Hebrew often refers to God's covenant love that is bestowed upon his people. If you have trusted Christ today, you are one of God's own, his special ones, his covenant people. And that is not because God looked down from heaven and, and thought, yes, she's a, she's a good girl. He's a nice lad. She's a kind lady. No, but it's simply because he loved you. He loved you before you ever knew him, and he said, he's mine, she's mine. Out of love and and despite our sinful, unlovely state, he, he looked through the annals of time and he said, mine, mine, mine. Not because you took the initiative or because he knew you would, but because of election. That's what the Bible teaches Now, this is hard for for, for some to process. In fact, for as long as I've known this, still deep down, there is a part of me that that it irks with. I don't know about you, but I I like to think that I bring something to the table. I I like to think that if I'm not an equal partner in salvation, I'm I'm, I'm at least a a partially self-made man. Of course, there's another part of me that loves the security that God says it, and that is that of his salvation work. And the debates may rumble, and some of you will disagree with me, but this is a biblical truth. You may be rejected out there, with, but with him you are elected. God elects his people. They are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 20 with me. Cast your eye down the page of 1 Peter. Uh, It says the same language here and uses it of Jesus. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Jesus is himself called chosen twice in 1 Peter 2 verse 4 and 1 Peter 2 verse 6. And it's the same idea for men and women that he sets his love upon. The plan of God was set long ago unknown to us, but in his realm it was all done and dusted, the plan to send his son and the plan to save you if you knew him. The way this is even written in verse 2 does not have the sense that that he saw it from eternity past. No, you are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God. According to is, is a statement of, of purposeful involvement, isn't it? It's not just a a passive, I see, but I can't affect knowledge. Not even the way it reads. That's elect. But what about the other part? Why are they exiles? Are they rejected exiles in these five Roman provinces because they are second-class citizens as Christians, the ones that are sort of less than the rest, and so will stick them at the bein of the empire where they can face the heat of those unbelievers there? No, that's according To the foreknowledge of God the Father too. That they are exiles. Well it's because God's planned it this way. That's what that means. For his good purposes. Both of those things hold. Elect and exiles. God initiates his work of salvation. You can see the Father in the work of foreknowledge. They reject you. He elects you. Secondly. Secondly. Uh, in the sanctification of the Spirit we come to. God's salvation works. uh, Works shows God the Father in foreknowledge, but it also shows in the sanctification of the Spirit. Verse 2 says that the people are elect exiles in the sanctification of the Spirit, or through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, as the NIV has. This time... The capital letter has been included in our translations in English there in verse 2. The spirit is not just their human spirit or the collective human spirit, but the spirit of the living God. This is the third person of the Trinity. Peter is saying that the people are God's own, planned and elect in eternity past, but they are also part of God's saving work at the time of conversion. The preposition is not according to here. It's "it's in. This is an important in. The Spirit is the one who sanctifies. This teaches us that it's not just enough uh, for God to, uh, to, to, to love us uh, or even to forgive us. There is sin in us. So we need him to make us holy. When speaking about sanctification... Uh, It can confuse us if we don't realize that there are really two sanctifications. There is the ongoing work of God where where God's people are are his work in progress and he daily and weekly and monthly changes them and and that upward trend towards the ultimate goal of making them like Jesus Christ and making them fit for the new earth with him. We read about that, in fact, in Romans chapter 6 earlier on. And then there is the Other, the definitive act of God that happens at the moment of conversion when you believe. Where God in his unseen work, we had his unknown work, but now this is his unseen work, uh, works to make uh, someone holy and sets them apart and sets his seal upon them. When the Holy Spirit moves in, this is the one Peter's speaking about here. Uh, We know this from the way it's explained. We know this from the word in. For that shows the one who does it. The one who does it inside those believers, the Holy Spirit of God. You see, some people repent and believe and maybe don't even realize that this is what God has done. For the very ones he draws are at the same time those who repent and believe. But this is what the Bible teaches. That unknown to them, God was doing his work in the past, setting his love upon them. And here, when they repented and believed, he was performing his unseen work on them by his Spirit. The Father in his unknown ways, the Spirit in unseen ways. We are marked men, we are marked women, but but in a wonderfully good way. Setting apart is Peter reminding them of of that them and us principle that we need to remember. Yes, they may have two arms and two legs and a face and walk the same dusty Roman roads as you, but they're different from you, and so it should appear and be. The Holy Spirit lives inside you, making you holy. He's taken up permanent residence. They are set apart. You're different from them. And as God enacts his work of salvation by and in the work of the Holy Spirit in them, this is true. With the changes in our society, there is a potential, isn't there, for us to become, I don't know, a little bit bewildered as we've gone on that journey from normal through weird, hurtling fast towards what people now in some places call dangerous as Christians. As the world turns its heat up on us, Perhaps perhaps you wonder if you should just sort of pack it in for an easier life. But remember, remember what's happened. God has set his love upon you in the past, he sent his spirit to mark you as distinct and holy, and you're not one of them, you're one of his own. He has been at work. And you may have two legs and two arms and walk the same tarmac footpaths of County Down as them, but you're not the same as them. How does this idea of being different need to be increased in volume in your hearing tonight? I don't know, living for retirement, living for the weekend, living for the children, living for escapism, or living for Christ and our home that we've never yet been to. God himself lives in you by his spirit. You have the very life of Christ in you. Did you realize that? They reject you. He elects you. They drag you down. He sanctifies you. And you can see the Holy Spirit in the work of sanctification. Thirdly, and finally, for obedience to Jesus Christ. You are elect exiles, rejected and yet elected according to the foreknowledge of the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, and that leads to implications. We've seen the past actions of a loving Father unknown to us, the Father who knows, who sets his affection on us, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us and he loves us and he enters into that covenant with us. We've seen the actions of the person of the Holy Spirit, unseen, who, who sanctifies us in that action when we believe, when he moves in and, and we're set apart and, and sanctified and different. This is a passage, isn't it, that clearly shows us the doctrine of the Trinity, the tri-unity of God, the persons of God, all at work in the work of salvation. So what about the Son of God then, you ask? What of Jesus Christ? You are an elect, exile, Peter says, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. For is a strong word in the original language, okay? It is a strong preposition. It's, it's forceful. For the purpose of. It goes like that. This is not so much why. Why are we uh, exiles like this? That's according to what the Father's purposed. It's what the Spirit did the moment you believed. This time, it's what are they, what do they elect exiles for? What is their purpose now, in other words? What is their purpose? What are they to do now with all this uh, this wonderful action of the Father and the Holy Spirit that's taken place as they live in one of five Roman provinces, or indeed anywhere in the world right now, as one who's received God's salvation and, and Spirit? Well, the answer is, you are here and now as an exile to obey Christ. You're here for Christ. Now, the, the work of salvation is, is, is now for you to serve Christ. The reason they, that, that, that these people in, that Peter's writing to are, are still here walking and talking on, on planet earth is, and, and haven't died yet is to obey Christ. And it's the same for all of us. To be God's image bearers who obey. Adam, of course, was God's image bearer who disobeyed. The covenant was in tatters. But the new people of God, the ones that Christ has died for, the ones that the spirit dwells in permanently, were there to obey him. To live out the fact that they've been sprinkled by his blood. That's dramatic uh, imagery there, isn't it? Shocking even. Plenty of Halloween blood and horror and shoe on our doorsteps these nights. But what's it doing in the Bible? This amount of gore. Of course, let me explain. Jesus has died. He's went to the cross. He's suffered. He's provided a sacrifice good enough so that in him we're acceptable to God. He died their death, and now they live to please him. He died our death, and now we live to please him. The background for this statement is found in Exodus chapter 24, when Moses initiates the children of Israel into this covenant with God, and the Israelites on that day promised to obey all that God's commanded, and Moses sprinkled sacrificial blood on them. Yes, he did, signifying God's acceptance of them into the covenant and their obligations to be faithful and obedient. There was the work of God unknown before time itself. There's the work of God unseen. And now we have the work of God seen. Seen in the lives of the Christians, visible to the world. God has acted, and now they're responding with faithful obedience. They're choosing now, all right, choosing to obey. And to carry on his work as his faithful, obedient servants, uh, as an example to others, you've been set apart from the world. Peter's saying. But importantly, don't forget you've been set apart to God. That's why you live here. Someone could say, "Oh, why do you live in Dundonald? Why do you live in Ards? Why do you live in East Belfast?" Or you say, oh, it's "Where I work." My family are from here. I've always lived here. But in truth, you live here to obey Christ here. You live here as an example to those around you of a Christian. That's why you live here. That's why you're on your street, you know. That's what God's planned. That's why you're in exile there. That's what you're doing there. When you drive into the, into the drive and open the front door, that's where you're representing him. Really. So no matter the heat from the natives, remember the work of God in your life, brothers and sisters. No matter the temptation to become like the natives, remember the work of the Spirit who's moved in and marks our separation from the world. And no matter the trouble, and it comes in many forms and will, you obey Christ. You display, you show the work of God in you—you you follow His teaching, even if it greets with the Babylonian, Roman, or current Northern Irish culture. They reject you; He elects you. They bring you down; He sanctifies you, and leads you in Christ to obey Him. So you're truly blessed. If you can see the work of God in yourself, you're truly blessed, aren't you? He's got his divine fingerprints all over it. The past, the moment you believed, right now, it's the work of God. And so Peter can say to them and to us, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace. Be multiplied to you. Let's pray for a moment. We're going to sing um, his mercy is more before we come to the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your work in salvation, your work as our Heavenly Father, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the work of your Son, um, our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. And we can see your Hand in all of our salvation in so many ways. Thank you, and we are truly blessed people, and we are so deeply loved, and we praise you for ever loving us and sending your Son and sending your Spirit, for it is great and a wonder to behold. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing His mercy is more, and we'll come then uh, to share the Lord's Supper together.